Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Welcome, beloved family. How are you? I pray that you are well. I am well. It's so good to be with you on this most glorious feast day, the the Feast of All Saints. It's a holy day of obligation, by the way. You must go to Mass today and um, worship our Lord and give thanks for all the saints, the great cloud of witnesses that he speaks of in chapter 12 all who have run the race and gone before us. And Dom Garanger, three centuries ago, wrote a most beautiful piece on this. He first quotes the Apocalypse, uh, Revelation chapter 7, which was our reading at Mass today. I saw a great multitude, which no man could number, of all the nations and tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and in the sight of the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Oops, I don't know how, Oh, salvation to our God. Time is no more, he writes. It is the human race eternally saved that is thus presented in vision to the prophet of Patmos. That's, that's the evangelist John who wrote the book of Revelation. He is the prophet of Patmos, exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Our life of struggle and suffering on earth is then to have an end. <clears throat> Our long-lost race is to fill up the angelic ranks, thinned by Satan's revolt, and uniting in the gratitude of the redeemed of the Lamb, the faithful spirits will sing with us thanksgiving, honor, and power, and strength to our God forever and ever. And this shall be the end, Paul says, the end of death and suffering, the end of history and of its revolutions, which will then be explained the old enemy hurled down with his followers into the abyss will live on only to witness his own eternal defeat. The Son of Man, the Savior of the world, will have delivered the kingdom of God to his Father and God, the last end of creation and of redemption, will be all and all. Oh, dear ones, for that day. He's quoting 1 Corinthians. Now he's going to quote from Isaiah. Long before the seer of the apocalypse, Isaiah sang, I saw the Lord sitting upon, this is Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and elevated, and his train filled the temple. And the seraphim cried to one another and said, Holy, 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 the Lord God of hosts, all the earth is full of his glory. That's where we get the sanctus. Holy, 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 it is the Trinity, the triune God of Abraham. I've heard that put into song with two holies instead of three and all kinds of things which destroys the, the, the reality of it. 
The train and fringes of God's vesture are the elect, who are the adornment of the word, the splendor of the Father. For since the word has espoused our human nature, that nature is his glory, as he is the glory of God. The bride herself is clothed with justifications of the saints. And when this glittering robe is perfected, the signal will be given for the end of time. This feast announces the ever-growing nearness of the eternal nuptials, for on it we annually celebrate the progress of the bride's preparation. The church, beloved, is the bride of Christ being prepared for the supper of the Lamb. Blessed are they that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are we all who have received in baptism the nuptial robe of holy charity, which entitles us to a seat at the heavenly banquet. Let us prepare ourselves for the unspeakable destiny reserved for us by love. To this end are directed all the labors of this life, toil, struggles, sufferings for God's sake, all adorn with priceless jewels, the garment of grace, the clothing of the elect. Blessed are they that mourn. <clears throat> they that have gone before us wept as they turned the furrows and cast in the seed. But now their triumphant joy overflows upon us as an anticipated glory in this valley of tears. Without waiting for the dawn of eternity, the present solemnity today, dear ones, the present solemnity gives us to enter by hope into the land of light, whither our fathers have followed Jesus, the divine forerunner. Do not the thorns of suffering lose their, lose their sharpness at the sight of the eternal joys into which they are to blossom? Does not the happiness of the dear departed cause a heavenly sweetness to mingle with our sorrow? Let us hearken to the chants of deliverance sung by those for whom we weep. Little and great, this is the feast of them all, as it will one day be our feast. At this season, when cold and darkness prevail, nature herself, stripping off her last adornments, seems to be preparing the world for the passage of the human race into the heavenly country. Let us then sing with the psalmist, I rejoiced at the things that were said to me. We shall go into the house of the Lord. Our feet as yet stand only in thy outer courts. But we see thy building ever going on, O Jerusalem, city of peace, compacted together in concord, and courts. I'm sorry, compacted together in concord and love. To thee do the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, praising the name of the Lord. Thy vacant seats are being filled up. May all good things be for them that love thee, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. May peace be in thy strength and abundance in thy towers for the sake of my brethren and of my neighbors who are already thy inhabitants. I take pleasure in thee because of the Lord our God, whose dwelling thou art. I have placed in thee all my desire. Psalm 121. <clears throat> 
When Rome had completed the conquest, conquest of the world, she dedicated to all the gods, little g, in token of her gratitude, the Pantheon, the most durable monument of her power. But when she herself had been conquered by Christ and invested by him with the empire over souls, she withdrew her homage from vain idols and offered it to the martyrs. For they, praying for her as she slew them, had rendered her truly eternal. To the martyrs then, and to Mary, their queen, she consecrated forever, on the morrow of her merciful chastisement, the now purified pantheon. <clears throat> Come forth from your dwellings, ye saints of God. Hasten to the place prepared for you, for three centuries, the catacombs were the resting place of our Lord's athletes when they were born from the arena. These valiant warriors deserve the honors of a triumphant, far better, of a triumph far better than did the great victors of old. In 312, however, Rome, disarmed but not yet changed in heart, was not at all disposed to applaud the men who had conquered the gods of Olympus and of the capital. While the cross surmounted her ramparts, the white-robed army still lay entrenched in the subterranean crypts that surrounded the city like so many outworks. Three centuries more were granted to Rome that she might make satisfaction to God's justice and take full cognizance of the salvation reserved for her by his mercy. In 609... <clears throat> The patient work of grace was completed. The sovereign pontiff, Boniface IV, uttered the word for the sacred crypts to yield up their treasures. It was a solemn moment, a forerunner of that wherein the angel's trumpet call shall sound over the sepulchers of the world. The successor of St. Peter in all his apostolic majesty and surrounded by an immense crowd presented himself at the entrance of the catacombs. He was attended by 18 chariots and magnificently adorned for the conveyance of the martyrs. The ancient triumphal way opened before the saints. The sons of the Quirites, Quirites, Q-U-I-R-I-T-E-S, sang in their honor, you shall come with joy and proceed with gladness for behold, the mountains and the hills exult, awaiting you with joy. Arise, ye saints of God, come forth from your hiding places, enter into Rome, which is now the holy city. Bless the Roman people following you to the temple of the false gods, which is now dedicated as your own church, there to adore together with you the majesty of the Lord. Oh, dear loved, dear beloved, if we only lived as saints on earth, if we only lived according to our baptism calling, if we only were truly in the world and not of it, we might change this world before it's too late. We might bring others along with us before it's too late, beloved. It's up to us. God has left it up to us in this day to convert the world only by doing it to be in the world and not of it, to live the faith 
as if it is true. We'll be right back. Jesus guided us. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. This vigilance is urgently needed in the moral issues of today, and specifically in elections and voting as people of faith. As Catholics, our faith offers a solid foundation against the seasick tossing and turnings of the twisted beliefs of our modern and complex society. Dark laws are being proposed, such as the Respect for Marriage Act, which actually undermines the definition of marriage. Educators such as one in Connecticut are promoting twisted agendas and pointedly discriminating against Catholics. High-profile candidates are equating religious freedom to extremism and a danger to society. Instead, with vigilance, let's plant good seeds in the election and voting process. This has been a bit of Catholic encouragement from Michael Gisandi. Do you love listening to the Station of the Cross on your car radio, but sometimes find yourself driving outside the listening area? Never miss another minute of your favorite show. Download the iCatholic Radio app so you can listen anywhere in the world 24 hours a day. The iCatholic Radio app is available for your phone in the Apple Store or for your Android phone in Google Play. Visit thestationofthecross.com for more information. The Station of the Cross is listener-funded, and we value your ongoing generosity. In this fast-paced world, it's easy to let your recurring donation slip due to something like a new address or a card number change. If you suspect that we might not have your up-to-date donor information, you can check with us during regular business hours at 1-877-888-6279, extension 104, or anytime online at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am live, and I'm thrilled to be with you. And we have been reading um, on this most magnificent holy day of obligation, the Feast of All Saints. It's a holy day of obligation, beloved. We have very few of those throughout the year. And the church where we were this morning was just packed, just in two masses at seven, one at nine, and there'll be more. Um, it's just so beautiful to see all the, the saints on earth pack the churches today. And we are saints, you know that. We're set apart at our baptism. To be a saint is to be set apart, consecrated to God. Not yet as the saints in heaven, but we are as the saints on earth whose builder and maker is God. And so we've been reading about the paganism of Rome that was utterly transformed by the belief um, of the martyrs and their lives. Thus, I continue reading from Dom Garanger. After six centuries of persecution and destruction, the martyrs had the last word, and it was a word of blessing, a signal of grace for the great city hitherto drunk with the blood of Christians. 
more than rehabilitated by the reception she was giving to the witnesses of Christ. She was now not merely Rome, but the new Zion, the privileged city of the Lord. She now burned before the saints the incense they had refused to offer to her idols. Their blood had flowed before the very altar on which she now invited them to rest. Since the usurpers had been hurled back into the abyss, it was a happy inspiration that induced her when she dedicated to the holy martyrs the temple built by Marcus Agrippa and restored by Severus Augustus to leave upon its pediment the names of its original constructors and the title they had given it. For then only did the famous monument truly merit its name. When Christian Rome could apply to the new inhabitants of the Pantheon those words of the psalm, I have said you are gods, small g. May, May 13th was the day of their triumphant installation. Every dedication on earth reminds the church, as she herself tells us, of the assembly of saints, the living stones of the eternal dwelling which God is building for himself in heaven. We, beloved, are living stones. It is not astonishing, then, that the dedication of Agrippa's pantheon under the above-mentioned circumstances should have originated the feast of today. Its anniversary, recalling the memory of the martyrs collectively, satisfied the church's desire of honoring year by year all her blessed sons who had died for the Lord. For at an early date, it became impossible to celebrate each of them on the day of his glorious death. In the age of peace that was added to the cultus of the martyrs, that of the other just And cult does not mean false worship. It means worship. You can worship false gods or you can worship the true God. And the martyrs worship the true God. And the the martyrs and of the other just who daily sanctified themselves in all the paths of heroism opened out to Christian courage. The thought of uniting these with the former In one common solemnity, which is today, dear one, which would supply for the unavoidable omission of many of them, followed naturally upon the initiative given by Boniface IV in 732, in the first half of that 8th century, which was such a grand age for the church, Gregory III dedicated at St. Peter's on the Vatican an oratory in honor of the Savior of his blessed mother, of the holy apostles, of all the holy martyrs, confessors, and perfect just who repose throughout the world. A dedication under so extensive a title did not, it is true, imply the establishment of our Feast of All Saints by the illustrious pontiff. Yet from this period, it began to be celebrated by diverse churches. And that too on November 1st, as is attested with regard to England by Venerable Bede's Martyology and the Pontifical um, of Egbert of York. It was far, however, from being universal when in the year 835, Louis de Debonair, at the request of Gregory IV 
and with the consent of all the bishops of his realm, made its celebration obligatory by law. This degree was welcomed by the whole church and adopted as her own, says Ado, with reverence and love. Oh, dear ones, um, it's just so beautiful. Um, I love reading through this. It's the first time I'm reading this as I'm reading it to you. And I'm thinking of a story, I believe, during World War II, during the Nazi era. I may have told it before. The gist of it is that there were a bunch of Christians underground and um, uh, willing to give their lives for Christ. And some soldiers with rifles broke into the room and pointed them at the group of Christians and said, uh, we're going to kill all of you unless you leave this room. You, le- you can deny Christ and leave the room and live. But if you don't, you will be shot. You will be killed. And a couple of them left the room. And then the soldiers said, okay, this is your last chance. Uh, Leave the room or you will be killed. And I think there were one or two soldiers left because they left to follow the others who left. And then nobody else left. I don't know how many there were in the room, maybe a dozen, I don't know. And the soldiers closed the door, pointed their guns at the people, and put their rifles down and sat down with those people and said, we want to know what it is to be a Christian. I've told that story many times, and I'm, I'm one goosebump even now. Who cares what you say you are if your life doesn't show it? If you're ready to deny Christ, who cares? And if you don't live for him, then you do deny him. If you don't live for him, then you do deny him. Do you keep today as a holy day of obligation? Do you go to church on Sunday and live and work during the week as if God doesn't exist? Do you raise your children in the faith, or do you expect the church or schools or Catholic schools or CCD to raise them in the faith? Are you abandoning your vocation? If you do, you're abandoning God. If you're not teaching the children your faith, their faith, then they cannot be witnesses, and you are failing in your vocation before God. If our country turns communist, which it's on the way to doing, a totalitarianism system, which it's on the way to becoming, uh, very, very quickly, and your children are taken from you, Will they know who they are? Will they trust God for whatever happens to them? Or will they abandon God and say he can't love us if he's allowing this? Will they curse God? Or will they die for him, as did the martyrs of 2nd Maccabees? If you don't live the faith, if you don't live for God, God, you won't die for him. You won't. Now is the time, beloved, for us to take seriously our faith, to not trust that we will have freedom much longer, to not trust that we'll be able to get food and everything we're used to, to not trust that we'll be able to go to Mass, to not trust that there'll be Mass, 
What will you do? What will we do, beloved? Will your children complain? Will they complain that they go, can't go out and pray, play with their friends? Families, you have to stay together. Mothers, mothers, you must be home with your children. You must begin to live a life with your family and fathers. You must begin to live a life now that you will be forced to live in time. Fathers, you need to be the breadwinner of your family. And moms, you need to be home with your children. And homeschooling is not solely a mother's job. It is also the father's job. The mother will teach the children during the day. But papas, when you come home, don't put your feet up and read the newspaper. You talk to your children about the faith. You help around the house. You are not another child. In many homes, the parents have four children and the father becomes a fifth child taken care of. No, you are the head of the household, Father. Papas, it is up to you to gather the children and your family with your wife at night for prayer. Not up to your wife, but it is up to you to do that every single night to pray the rosary. It is up to you to plan, to guide your wife, to support her, to truly live the faith. There are a number of homes where the mothers want to homeschool and the fathers don't want that. Where the mothers want to pray and the fathers don't want that. Fathers, men, you will be accountable to God. You are already. There will be a a very severe accounting for you if you do not raise your children in the faith. I know we're going to come up against our break soon. Um... Um, Let me just skip down and read a couple of sentences. That when extended to the entire world, this feast of all saints became complete. It was made equal to the greatest solemnities and widened its horizon till it reached the infinite, embracing uncreated as well as created sanctity. Its object was now not only Mary and the martyrs, not only all the just children of Adam, but moreover the nine choirs of angels and above all the Holy Trinity itself, God who is all in all, the King of kings, that is, of the saints, the God of gods in Zion. Hear how the church awakes her children on this day. Come, let us adore the Lord, the King of kings, for he is the crown of all the saints. Such was the invitation addressed by our Lord himself to St. Matilda, the chantress of Helfta, the privileged one of his divine heart. Praise me, for that I am the crown of all the saints. The Virgin then beheld all the beauty of the elect and their glory, drawing increase from the blood of Christ, and resplendent with the virtues practiced by him, and responding to our Lord's appeal, she praised with all her might, the blissful and ever-adorable Trinity for deigning to be to the saints their diadem and their admirable dignity. This is true of us, dear ones. We are the saints on earth. We are those set apart for God. We are becoming holy. We are becoming what we are, what we are called to be, 
what we are made to be at our baptism. The choice is ours if we leave God or live fully for Him by giving all that we are and have. We'll be right back and we'll take your calls right after the break. When I was outside of the church, there was always an unsettled feeling. There was always a feeling of something missing and something not complete. The, the deal clincher is we found our way to our, our parish and we met just an incredible pastor. We learned things that we had never been taught. I wouldn't be the person that I am without the church and without the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist. I can't live without it. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for November 1st. Today we celebrate the Solemnity of All Saints. Today's feast is a reminder that salvation is open to all of us. It is also a celebration of the holy people, known and unknown, formally canonized and not, who are with God in heaven. The earliest certain observance of a feast in honor of all the saints dates to the 4th century commemoration of all the martyrs. Several centuries later, Pope Boniface IV had the bones of early martyrs gathered up and buried beneath the Pantheon, a Roman temple dedicated to all the gods. The Pope rededicated that shrine as a Christian church where the memories of the saints could be honored. Over the centuries, as Christians became freer to worship according to their conscience, the church acknowledged other paths to sanctity beyond martyrdom alone. Many Eastern churches honor all the saints in the spring, either during the Easter season or immediately after Pentecost. Just how the Western Church came to celebrate this feast on November 1st continues to puzzle historians. What's more important, though, is that today's feast honors the famous as well as the obscure, including the saints each one of us has known. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together and I'm thrilled to be with you. Um, and you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. And the toll-free number is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, 511 5483 or email at mother at <clears throat> Our lines are wide open, so call in at any time, dear ones. We have an email from Sylvia. Sylvia writes, Hello, Mother Miriam. I recently started listening to your show and really love it. I'm so glad, Sylvia. She says, I'm in my mid-30s now and live in the United States. I grew up in a small foreign country where I attended Catholic Mass here and there, starting at the age of nine or so because my mom took us there. The Mass was in English and neither of us understood what was happening. We took communion before baptism. Then we stopped going to church for a while. When my mom remarried, we started going to a Catholic Mass again. But I did it because my mom said so without really understanding anything. When I got older, 
and met my husband, who is a baptized Catholic. We wanted to get married in the church. Both of us got confirmed, and my husband baptized me. Both of us also were confirmed without making a confession. In the last year, both of us have turned to God more, and we are starting to learn about the faith. Both of us made our first confession only two weeks ago. I told the priest that I have committed mortal sins by taking communion before baptism and getting confirmed without confession first. But since it was my first confession, I also confessed the two abortions I had in my early 20s about which I still feel very guilty. The priest gave me penance for my abortions only. There was a long line of people, so I think he kept it short. Still feeling guilty about my non-abortion-related mortal sins, I went to confession again last week. It was a different priest, but I told the priest that I confessed about these sins the week before. When the priest heard this, He told me to say a specific prayer and dismissed me so quickly. I made penance for the abortions I've had, even though I still feel guilty about them. And I feel equally guilty for offending God, for taking communion before baptism and confirmation before confession. Could you please advise me on what to do, Mother? We started praying the rosary daily, and I've asked God for forgiveness. I find overwhelming all the things I do not know about the faith that I am learning slowly. Please, Mother, I trust your counsel wholeheartedly. Sylvia, thank you. Sylvia, dear one, your difficulty is a a tremendous ignorance of the faith. You simply were not taught the faith, and now you're learning it. It's important for you to not be overwhelmed about what you don't know. Um, It's important for you to be grateful for what you are now learning after so many years, and for the grace of God in your life and in your husband's life, that you're back in the church, that you've gone to confession and that you want to do all things right. That's a grace from God. When we get a grace from God, it's a gift. And when we do that, we realize what we didn't have before. But we shouldn't live in regret for it because we didn't know. The scriptures say, how do we have what we haven't received? We've received everything, and we've received it now. We can't be guilty or, or live in sorrow for what we hadn't received. You didn't know that you should go to confession. You also didn't know that you shouldn't receive communion before baptism. You didn't know these things. It is not mortal sin. For mortal sin, for sin to be mortal, that means to kill the soul, to separate you from God. That's what mortal means, death. There's three requirements. It must be grave, a grave matter, a serious matter, You must know it is a serious matter that will separate you from God and that you must have free volition. You must do it of your own will. In other words, there's not a gun at your back. You're not drunk or drugged. You do it knowing it would be mortal, knowing that it would separate you from God, and doing it of your own volition, of your own free will. Those situations were not in place with you. It the the uh, matter of the sin is still grave. So it's sin, but you 
are not accountable for mortal sin because you didn't know it. You didn't know that it would separate you from God, and you didn't act against God in doing that because of ignorance. So no, they're not mortal for you. Uh, They might be mortal for someone else. They're grave sins, but again, you didn't know that. So now that you know, you confess them. Um, But they're not mortal, dear one. So... um, Uh, Let's see now. And as far as penance for your abortions, when you go before a priest in a confessional, it is God who forgives sins. Men cannot forgive sins. God forgives them through the instrumentality of the priesthood he established. And when you're in that confessional and the priest says, I absolve you, it is Christ saying that through the priest, I absolve you. And the only reason he could say that, and you can truly be forgiven, if we didn't trust it was God saying, I absolve you through the priest, we would never know we're forgiven. We wouldn't believe the priest. We'd say, well, maybe he had the wrong judgment. Maybe he was in mortal sin himself. Maybe he didn't even interested in hearing me. No, no, no. It's the same thing with the Mass. We don't trust the spiritual state of the priest. He could be in mortal sin when he consecrates bread and bread becomes wine. It is Christ who says through the priest, this is my body, this is my blood. And bread becomes his body and blood. And the same thing in the confessional. The priest, in that sense, hardly exists. It is Christ who says through the priest that he consecrated, I absolve you. And how can he do that? Because Christ hears you. And he died for you. He loves you. He can forgive you because he loves you. But he can forgive you because because of his love. He shed his blood for you and died in your place that you might be forgiven. And it is our place to humble ourselves, to confess our sins, and to receive that forgiveness. If you still feel guilty, dear one, now, now I'm going to put a guilt trip on you. If we feel guilty when we've been forgiven, there's one of two things that may be the problem. Maybe we haven't fully confessed our sin. Maybe uh, there are things that we've kind of held back because we don't want it to sound so bad. If we haven't fully confessed, we still feel guilty. That's one matter, and we should fully confess. But if we have, we're not greater than God. And if he says, I forgive you, he's removed the guilt from you. And if you still feel guilty, you're not receiving his forgiveness, and you're holding on to what God wants to free you from, and that's pride. I know this is a little complicated. Um, But don't hold on to your guilt. If God has said, I absolve you through that priest, you are freed. And say, Lord, I deserve hell for what I've done. I do. Any sin deserves hell. Any sin doesn't have to be grave. Any sin deserves hell. I deserve hell, God. But because of your love and your death for me on the cross and your resurrection and your merciful forgiveness, you have given me life instead. My sin has been put on you on the cross and you have forgiven me. Someone once said, forgiveness is forgiving. He has given you life and taken your sin upon himself. So no longer feel guilty because he wants you to accept the gift of his free love, free grace. Cost him his life. It's not free, 
but to you it is. So thank him. Be grateful. Don't wallow in, in, in um, self-condemnation or guilt. Don't do that. Our guilt was placed on Christ. Receive that. If someone died for you, beloved, if someone died in your place uh, and you still feel guilty, even though they took the punishment, you would be kind of um, making light of their sacrifice. No, no. God paid, paid the price that he himself required for sin. And if he releases you and forgives you, because of his death for you, you must receive that and say, Lord, I will no longer feel guilty. I will only be filled with gratitude for what you have done for me. We have an email from Veronica who says, Good morning, Mother Miriam. Thank you for sharing your belief and voice with us. May our almighty God bless you and bless James, your humble helper. I hope you're listening, James. He is my humble helper. James is just wonderful. And she writes, My 14-year-old son loves your show very much. He serves at every Mass and adores doing it. Blessed be God. I am a single mother who was randomly picked to do a COVID test I don't know how, how and where you were randomly picked to do a COVID test, although I do not have the virus and do not show any symptoms. I'm now forced to stay home for 14 days. I was also offered a remote job, but now I am being told that even if it is remote, vaccination proof is required. That's just insane. I feel lost, voiceless, and rejected. Please, Mother, share some thoughts with me to keep me strong. I am a devoted and fervent Catholic. Thank you. Do not take COVID. Do not take the injection and refuse even a test because I don't trust the test. If they can't get the vaccine into you one way, they'll get it in through a test. I don't trust them whatsoever. Um, it's, it's all completely evil. So no, you refuse and you trust God to provide for you. Forget that job. Look for, you don't have to stay home. Um, or look for another job. Do whatever you can. Do laundry, pack groceries, walk dogs, clean houses. Do whatever you can to support yourself. Your son is 14 days. You need to stay home and school him and and work from home and let your son do odd jobs at 14 years old let him mow the lawn of neighbors and all of that clean their cars and he can bring some money home as well do not take the covid vaccine we have an email from claire marie who writes dear mother in our diocese the only place where you can receive the holy eucharist on your tongue is at the latin mass our bishop has already canceled most of our Latin Masses. Shame on him. And it seems likely that in the future there will be no more Latin Masses. We live on an island, so it is not likely that we could travel to another diocese more than a couple of times a year. If we do not have the Latin Mass, do we attend the Novus Ordo and make a spiritual communion? No. You attend the Novus Ordo and receive communion. It is valid. It is valid. There's no need for you to make a spiritual communion if you attend Novus Ordo. I know you don't want to receive communion in the hand. What I would do, neither do I, 
It's a huge sacrilege. Um, and um, what I would do is, is speak privately to the pastor, respectfully, come as a sheep, and say, Father, um, uh, is there any way you could accommodate our receiving communion on the tongue? We know it's the norm. The communion in the hand is the exception, actually, according to the church. Um, but but we know that it's allowed. Um, would you allow us to come up after everybody and receive communion on the tongue? So um, it, it, it's up to you. Uh, while there's still a Latin Mass, dear one, do whatever you can to get there. If you attend the Novus Ordo, um, if I attended an office auto and would refuse communion on the tongue, I would, I would make a spiritual communion because it's an awful sacrilege to receive our Lord on the hand. Um, those are the words of Bishop Athanasius Snyder as well. There's the music for our final break, beloved. We'll be right back. We'll have 10 minutes, still time for you to call in um, with anything on your heart. one 5483 Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to Sermons for Everyday Living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Thank you for your continued support, and may God bless you and your family. Are you holding on to an old car or truck because you think dealers won't want it? Then consider donating it to the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. This is a great way to turn your unvalued vehicle into a powerful gift for Catholic Radio. You'll be taking part in our evangelization efforts to continue spreading Christ's love throughout the world. Our Lord uses Catholic Radio to draw more people to Himself, and one of the best ways to support the Station of the Cross is by contributing to our vehicle donation program. The process is safe and simple. Your generosity will greatly benefit our mission to bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners. To find out more or to donate your vehicle today, visit thestationofthecross.com or call 1-866-628-CARS. That's the station of the cross.com or 1-866-628-2277. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. We do have 10 minutes and our lines are wide open. You're all very quiet today. But if you wish to call in with anything on your heart, the toll-free number to call or text is one 511 5483 or email at mother at com. We have an email from Michael who writes, Dear Mother Miriam, God bless you and everything you do to help all of us get to heaven. Thank you, Michael. He writes, I think my question is a simple one. Is it correct to say that we Catholics, devout and not so devout, are the church? I don't believe this is a correct phrase or interpretation. We are not the church, Michael. No, we are the body. Christ is the head. Christ said, we are the body of Christ, and Christ is the head, and together we make up the church. Christ said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. We are not the church. I will build my church, he said. He did not say, I'm still reading Michael's email, I will build our church. He calls all of us to be members of his holy church, but we are not the church per se, but simply members or participants of his church. You're right. If there were no Catholics and no one followed the faith, the church would still be there. So by extension, the members, us, are not the church per se. Is this a correct understanding? God bless Michael. Well, Michael, um, you say if there were no Catholics and no one followed the faith, the church would still be there. The church is, is the body of, of believers uh, under Christ who is their head. Um, in the Old Testament, the word a Hebrew word is kahal without a U-Q-A-H-A-L, and it meant assembly, and it was assembly of God's people. There'd be no kahal without God's people. And in the New um, Covenant, uh, rather than Hebrew, the Greek is ekklesia, both of them meaning called out ones. So we are the ones called out of the world to God, the, the church, ekklesia, but with Christ as our head. If we say we are church, I hate that expression, um, we are the church, no, 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 we are not. We are the body of Christ who is our head, and together we are the church of, that Christ founded. Um, so we could say we are the church, but not apart from Christ. We are in the church. We are in the Catholic Church, the ecclesia that Christ founded upon the apostles and prophets. We have an email from Jason who says, I have a question. How come a lot of Protestants I meet, or no, seem so satisfied with their church and have no desire for the Catholic Church? How come they don't seem like they're missing out on the one true church? Jason, that's very easy for me to answer. I was an evangelical Protestant trying to save Catholics for 18 years because I was taught the faith and the scriptures uh, from a truncated Bible and taught by um, the descendants of the Reformers who left the church and came up with false doctrine. And I was taught the Catholic Church was a man-made false religious system, uh, and it was Satan's system. So why would I desire to be in the Catholic Church? I had no clue there was the one true church. What we as Protestants would call the one true church was the invisible body of believers. And so um, not, a church, not, a, not a city set on a hill, as the scriptures say. 
So um, they don't feel like they're missing anything. I remember there were times as an evangelical Protestant that I couldn't imagine even heaven could be better or that anything could be better on earth but heaven. I was so happy and fulfilled. I, who would need anything more? Um, it's only the grace of God that would penetrate my heart to um, see if God uh, meant what he said when he said he would establish a church, would lead it into all truth till the end of time, and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. If he leads his church, his true church, into all truth to the ends of time, till the end of time, then there wouldn't be 40,000 Protestant denominations because uh, God is not the author of confusion. So it took me time, but it's only the grace of God that can open a heart to look further. We have an email from someone who writes in anonymously and says, I'm a practicing Catholic, and I know that God wants me to marry my girlfriend when the time is right. She has questionable fertility due to health concerns. We both want kids. I don't know what to think about my future. I hope I am blessed with having kids. Do you think God would arrange for us to get married and not have kids? I thought one of the main purposes of marriage is to have kids. You're absolutely right, it is. I don't believe God would have you marry and not have children. That'd be very, very few circumstances uh, called a Josephite marriage, where husband and wife remain celibate. And But the purpose of marriage, indeed, is to procreate and fill the earth. But that's not even an issue. There are millions of children waiting to be adopted. So if you're not able to have children uh, for one reason or another, physical means, fertility means, then there are many children waiting to be adopted uh, of any age, newborns right up to teenagers. So um, I... I I, I think God, uh, we, I know beautiful families who have adopted um, all their children. I think it's safe to say this, Dr. Ray Gorendi, um, they could not have natural children of their own, and they adopted 10. Uh, Dr. Ray says this of himself publicly, so I'm not letting any cat out of any bag. But he said, we adopted nine. They have the, the United Nations at their house from every, every culture. And he said, but we have 10 now because he didn't practice safe phone. I think that's hysterical, safe phone. He got a call and there was a need for a home for another child and they took that child in. They have 10 children and it's all adopted. And I think it's magnificent. So dear Anonymous, who writes this, whether you can have children naturally or you adopt is not the issue. The important issue, you say that you're practicing Catholic, it's extremely important if you want to marry your girlfriend that she is also a practicing Catholic. And when you say when the time is right, I don't know when that is, um, but um, um, she must be a practicing Catholic because if you have natural children or you adopt, you need to raise them in the faith. And if your wife simply agrees to raise them in the faith and is also not a practicing Catholic, um, they will not be raised in the faith. Um, and so that's most important, that she is a practicing Catholic and that both of you together love the faith. And if you wish children, 
um, you, there will be no issue in your adopting them, whether it's from this country or another. Um, uh, we're coming to the end of our program. Let me try to take one more email from Carmen, who says, Hello, Mother. I love your live program. Thanks for all you do. I bring Holy Communion to the homebound and want to know if I'm doing a good thing in line with the Catholic Church's teaching. I'm not a member of the clergy, but rather a layperson. Kind regards, Carmen. Carmen, you're doing a good thing, but I don't believe it's what should be done by the lay people. There have been times of great persecution where the lay people in the past have brought communion. This is not such a time. It is what priests should be doing. No lay person should handle that consecrated host. Only the consecrated hands of a priest should handle that host. And I've seen in the Novus Auto churches, um, lay people go up and have the host and put it in their picks to go back to their seat or stop to talk to people. People should be bowing, prostrate before them because they're carrying God. It's an absolute sacrilege. So, Carmen, absolutely not. If there's a reason your priest cannot do it, then there are other priests who can. Um, There's the end of our program today, beloved. Um, We will, God willing, be with you tomorrow. Go to church today. It's a holy day of obligation, the Feast of All Saints. And we'll speak with you tomorrow on the Feast of the Holy Souls. God bless you.